You're listening to a fresh new podcast on healing, spiritual development, nutrition, energy work, and sometimes aliens. From the owner of the celebrity acclaimed Raw Republic Juice Bar and Wellness Center in New Orleans, Louisiana, Sheena Manina. Yes, that's her real name. This is Raw Talk with Sheena. Okay, so we have my friend Dr. Sherry Taylor here today. Welcome, Sherry. Thank you. So we first met, I'm going to give the audience kind of a background. We first met when you were teaching lucid dreaming at a yoga retreat. Do you remember that? I do. And it was so interesting to me that someone who I I perceived you as just kind of having a traditional um clinical practice and so the fact that you were talking about something that was in my world a little bit more esoteric and out there woo woo was very interesting to me because I'm always tuning into the way that traditional therapy is marrying with something that maybe can't be tested or or defined and I think that I knew by your just talking about that topic that you were kind of going in that direction mm-hmm. um, so since then I kind of want the audience to get an idea of who you are and from what perspective you're coming from. Can you tell us just a little bit about where um, this journey in therapy began and how, how it's kind of evolved recently? Sure. Uh, probably 20 years ago, um, went to nursing school and, you know, worked as a nurse in the neonatal intensive care unit for about a year then went back to school and became a neonatal nurse practitioner and worked in that field for about eight years and loved it, but it's quite intense and, you know, stressful, which I think when you're young, you can, I don't know, I, myself, I sort of liked that adrenaline rush. And, but then as I got older, you know, I, I sort of wanted a more, uh, just, you know, I had kids and I just wanted kind of regular Monday through Friday hours. And so I'd always had an interest in psychology. So I went back to school and got my nurse practitioner uh, degree, kind of specialty in psychiatry, um, working with children. And uh, typically, you know, nurse practitioners sort of like psychiatrists focus on the psychopharmacology aspect. So there's just, uh, you know, a lot of prescribing of antidepressants and medicine for anxiety and these kinds of things. And I, I wanted more training in the psychotherapy aspect. So I got my PhD in psychology and tried to combine the the psychopharmacology with psychotherapy and did that for a while, but I became a little frustrated by, uh, by it in the way that, uh, it seemed not just, you know, I think a lot of the antidepressants and the medicines that are out there for, for anxiety and depression and and different mental health issues, um, they, there's a place for them and they are really helpful in a lot of circumstances, but they're often just kind of used as a band-aid and getting to the core issue, which is, you know, really sort of what is necessary to, to do some, you know, to have some personal development that's not really done so much. And they're 
I think becomes kind of a dependence on the medicines mm -hmm. and um, what do most antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications do physiologically? They work on some neurotransmitters in the brain. Different ones work on, you know, different neurotransmitters, but typically serotonin, norepinephrine, dopamine, and, and you know, these, by increasing the availability or the amount of these neurotransmitters that are available in the brain can... Um, can help people sort of manage their, uh, you know, help with daily functioning, especially, you know, if depression and anxiety is really affecting the way that you interact with people and the way mm -hmm. that you live your life. These medicines can, can help with that, but they also can sort of have a numbing effect a little bit. And, you know, there's a lot of side effects with them and they have to you know, most people take them for years and you have to take them every day. And mm -hmm. um, so I sort of, uh, you know, just through kind of personal experiences of going through some difficult times in my life. And then uh, I was introduced to yoga, which, you know, really helped. And then and then through that meditation and that sort of became um a, a major interest of mine. I went on a Vipassana retreat, which is a, a 10 day uh, silent mm -hmm. retreat and where you just meditate about 15 hours a day. And I've done that, done that. in Massachusetts. Uh, yeah, that's that, you know, changed my life. And, and I, I just became very uh, interested in that. And the way that all of that kind of morphed into this interest in psychedelics and altered states was um, I actually watched the documentary, The Spirit Molecule. Have you ever seen that? No. It's, it's a documentary that Rick Straussman, who's a psychiatrist, um, many years ago, he did a study on DMT and it's called the spirit molecule. Mm -hmm. which so is for like those who are not interested or not aware, DMT is the effective comp uh, compound mm -hmm. in what is known, um, I guess, most prevalently known through ayahuasca and which other? Um, yeah, some yeah. other psychedelics as well. Yeah, mainly ayahuasca, I believe. And so in this documentary, which I just happened upon, you know, and had never heard of DMT before, I didn't really have any personal experience with, with psychedelics. Um, and they, in this film, he talked a lot about meditation as well and how the two, you know, are very um, sort of have this symbiotic relationship. And that got me very interested. And um, so through that and just kind of, you know, reading about it, I found MAPS, which is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. And it's an organization out in California that sponsors studies using psychedelics, using um, psilocybin, marijuana, MDMA. Um, and, you know, I got on their mailing list. And then, I don't know, a year or two went by. And I got an email saying they were having a presentation here in New Orleans on this, uh, the results of this study that they were doing with MDMA. And it's uh, MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for PTSD. And I went to that, and they 
talked about the results and it was just astounding. But they showed this video of a veteran that was on the on MDMA mm-hmm. and during his his session, sort of the the things that that were happening for him, he was having these insights about himself that I've I had never seen in traditional psychotherapy. And the you could just see his inner healer was, you know, I, I really believe that the, the body, it, ha- it has a way of healing itself, just like, you know, if we were to, you know, get a cut on our arm or something, the body moves towards healing. And I think that the psyche can do that if given the opportunity. And I, I just saw that, you know, mm-hmm. it was coming from this place deep, within him and the therapists were just holding space for Mm -hmm. that but he was doing the healing right and i mean it gives me chills still just talking about it i mean so you know back to kind of when we were we were starting the conversations talking about pharmaceuticals and i say this having been on pharmaceuticals before in my life so it's not that there's a judgment placed on them from a place of non um trial and error. But from my experience, when I, I think I was in college and I was experiencing anxiety when I was driving. So I couldn't, I had a difficult time driving on campuses. I was constantly panicked that I was going to hit someone. Mm. And so without even, I don't even know who gave me the prescription. I think it was Lexapro maybe. Uh Um, And I just started taking it without even thinking. No one had, no one talked to me about it. No one said, these are the implications. This is what you may experience. Um, Also, from my perspective now, I know there was a lot of hormonal imbalance at that time. There was a lot of, there was no nutrition. There were many factors that, from my perspective now, I see, oh, wow, like there are so many tools that I could have utilized to lower my anxiety, natural ways, natural methods, without all the side effects. and something inside me just had me stop abruptly, and which was fine. I, I guess the dosage wasn't high enough and the time in which I was on them wasn't high enough. Um, but again, my perspective of that time was that we're trying to fit a soul being into the constructs of what our society deemed to be appropriate and acceptable. So if you're not functioning well between the hours of nine and five, if you're not studying late night like everyone else, if you're not wanting to party like everyone else, if you um, you know don't say the right things, don't feel the same type of um, connection to people, then there's something wrong with you. And I think a lot of my college experience was recognizing like I don't fit into this mold and figuring out different ways to cope, I guess, Mm -hmm. because there wasn't a lot of information on the outside saying that that individuality is actually my fire, my essence, my everything. Don't dim it. Let's go into it. Um, But nonetheless, you know, like moving into the the conversation of psychedelics, um, my experience with psychedelics is that that essence, that being, that soul is given a a chance to breathe. Mm -hmm. And I think that the connection that you saw in that documentary too, is that that feeling is the same when you meditate and you connect to yourself Mm -hmm. and when you are on psychedelics and you connect to yourself so deeply. Um, But it brings up so many questions because like, 
how is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is it happening through these chemicals, um, through these compounds, through these herbs and drugs? And then also, why are we so afraid? Why are we so afraid of something that in many instances comes from the ground? You know, like we we sell condensed herbs all day, every day, condensed nutrients all day, every day. And that's totally fine. And certainly that changes us chemically. Why are we, why are we sort of so resistant to that, which is expanding, it seems to be expanding something spiritual inside of us? Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of fear. Um, and, and we've just been conditioned to, we've sort of been taught that you know, these things are are drugs and they're bad. Um, I mean, there are a lot of drugs that we probably use every day, like caffeine or, you know, food in, in different ways. Um, but we've sort of been taught that that's okay. And, you know, these other types of, of substances are put in this other category. Um, but and I, but I think there's also some fear um, about tapping into our subconscious, you know, like just the f- not really knowing what you're going to find there, and and um, so that you know, sort of a fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that process is scary yeah. when when your reality is totally flipped upside down, and you don't know who you are, and you don't know what you want, and you don't know what you're doing here. Of course, that's scary. But how can we be in this life experience, which is so much more than this body? I mean, hopefully we're all on the same page at this point in recognizing that, like, we're not just this. Yeah. Right? Um, But the question of what is beyond is so, I guess, controversial in in many ways. But um, And also, I think that from the beginning, right, there was a lot of um, momentum towards this being dangerous. So are there legitimate points to psychedelics being dangerous as well? Uh, yeah, I think just like with anything else, you know, if if you're in a environment that, that isn't safe or you take too much or um, – but I think, you know – relative to anything else I, I I feel like that you know a lot of them are pretty safe and so that's what we're kind of going through now with you know the FDA is just trying to gather safety data and that's why you know um, maps is sponsoring studies with psilocybin and and MDMA and uh, you know we're about to move into phase three of the study MDMA assisted psychotherapy for PTSD and the results so far are remarkable and uh, PTSD. And I think that, you know, we're, we're looking specifically at PTSD right now because there has to, you know, be some parameters, you know, with, for the study, but most people have experienced trauma in some way in their life. And it, you know, leads to, to, problems that, you know, we all kind of deal with. And so if there's something that can help us to, you know, take a look at that and, and maybe heal it in some way, you know, that's 
hugely beneficial. No shit. Let's jump on that train. I heard you were one of the participants in getting Dennis McKenna to come to New Orleans to talk about um, his new movie and also to give a talk on kind of his research up until now. And one of the things that I remember him saying um, and alluding to was that he foresees uh, psilocybin, which is the effective component of um, magic mushrooms, being used in end-of-life therapy mm -hmm. for people who are about to die um, because it gives them that sense of ease in dealing with their own mortality and then potentially having those conversations with their family members and just creating a beautiful environment and experience for those who are about to die, which is great. But, and you're so sweet when you're talking about the research and everything that you're doing with maps. But in, in my mind, I'm just like, this should be available for everyone because everyone is traumatized from something. Yeah. No, even if you had the perfect childhood, someone left you crying for too long. You didn't mm -hmm. get the, the toy that you wanted. You know, someone on the playground told you you were fat, like whatever mm -hmm. it was, there's something in every single person. So for us to say like, you know, only those who have like this defined piece of trauma are the ones who should be, you know, it to me is very frustrating mm -hmm. because I feel like the tools should be available. Um, people drink themselves to death every day. Alcohol is available. Mm -hmm. One of the most toxic I've, and I've done a lot of research on psilocybin. No, and I know that its toxicity level is almost zero, which is obviously why they're thinking about giving it to people who are nearing the end of their life, who are obviously very fragile. So, and it's being studied with addiction, alcoholism, everything. Yeah, everything. And so, why do you think that psychedelics in such a large form are being um, used? to treat such a wide range of, in my opinion, it could be used to treat everything because maybe the answer is what you might experience on the psychedelics. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, back in the, the 70s, uh, these things were legal and they were used in psychiatry and I think, you know, they're because of the Vietnam War and they started to become associated with the counterculture and and then there was the, you know, the war on drugs and they've just sort of been demonized and um, it's it's sort of so now we're having to work against all of that to try to get them out of that, you know, that stigma kind of that that, that they're in right now. But it's it's sort of I think just baby steps. You know, we we have to use them in these sort of defined ways right now. But just like, uh, for example, uh, for PTSD, the only FDA approved drugs that you're that are FDA approved to treat PTSD are Zoloft and Paxil. But there are a lot of other drugs that are prescribed for that off label is what it's called, mm -hmm. and. You know, so once I think we can move MDMA and psilocybin from a Schedule One, which means Schedule One means that there's no medicinal value, that there could be a potential for abuse, these things that just don't really apply to mm -hmm. psilocybin and MDMA. So once they can get moved to a Schedule Two, then you know, hopefully they'll be able to be used for other. Is marijuana also considered Schedule One? 
uh, yeah. Yeah. I so, mean, it's, it's legal for like here in Louisiana, um, it's, it's legal for medicinal purposes, I guess. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, you know, getting it because, you know, even if your doctor thinks that it's appropriate for you, there's no, there's really no route place for you to obtain it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a, still a problem, but I think we're hopefully moving in the right direction. How does the medical industry or is, is MAPS sort of a medical arm? Do they, are they, um, are they breaking down the studies in sort of a medical way to be applied ideally in the medical field? Well, they're the sponsor of these studies, which means they, it's a nonprofit, they raise money. And, you know, unfortunately these, these drugs, there's, you, the patents, I mean, there's, there's really not a way to make money on them. So mm -hmm. there's no incentive for drug companies to look at them for, you know, I mean, there's no incentive for them to spend a lot of money. It's very expensive to do research mm -hmm. and, you In know, one treatment you may be done. Right. Yeah. So it's not, it's not going to be a, a huge moneymaker. Right. Yeah. So MAPS sponsors, you know, the research and it works with, you know, the FDA to, you know, get these um, sort of the parameters of the research. So we, we have, you know, a protocol with the MDMA research that, that we go by and, you know, it's uh, very, it's monitored, we're monitored by the DEA and, um, it's quite quite a, a strict and intense <laughs> protocol, um, but you know it's it's. I think Rick Doblin, the founder of Maps, had the insight to um, sort of. It, he saw that this was going to be the route to go. Like you have to change the policy and mm -hmm. and um, through you know scientific data mm -hmm. showing that this is beneficial. It's safe. Um, it really helps people, then you can, you know, change the policy. So, so are you actually administering the drug mm -hmm. and watching people holding space for them? And then you have yeah. someone watching you watch your patient. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So with this study right now, we, uh, have about Eight, about 18 visits. So there's a lot of preparatory work and, and then we give that we give the MDMA three times a month in between each time. And so we give the medicine and for eight hours, there's a male and a female therapist. Um, we have two therapy teams here. So myself and Ray Worthy and Mark Skelly and Zoe Hipple, we're the four therapists. And so there's a therapy team. We sit with the person for about eight hours while the medicine is taking effect. And, you know, it's, um, it's a, a totally different way of, of doing therapy because we're really just holding space and allowing their inner healer to bring up what they need, you know, and, and, and it does. And it's just the, the most remarkable thing to watch and to be a part of. And then, you know, in between each session, we have integrative sessions where we, we meet and discuss sort of what, you know, how, how they can apply that to their life, what came up and how they feel about it, and, and then getting ready for the next session. And then we have independent raters that are psychologists mm -hmm. that, that um, 
give the the person a, a test called the CAPS, which is the clinician administered PTSD scale. And that's sort of the gold standard for measuring PTSD. And so we look at at that, you know. How it changes mm-hmm. throughout the process. Yeah. What are you seeing as the, the change? That most of the people no longer meet the criteria for PTSD. And these are people who have been dealing with? If, yeah, these, these symptoms for often, you know, many years. And what, what PTSD, it, it's, um, you know, with trauma, often it's, it's very difficult to work in traditional psychotherapy um, with people because they have trouble talking about their trauma. Um, and MDMA is like the perfect drug for that because of the way it works in the, in the brain. It, it decreases the response in the amygdala, which is sort of the, the fear response. Mm-hmm. And then it, it increases what's happening in the frontal lobe, which is sort of the reasoning, decision-making part of the brain. And so they're able to talk about their trauma, you know, without fear, the, getting the emotional Judgment. response. Mm-hmm that they typically get that they're, you know, that's so awful that they just don't go there. Mm-hmm. Is MDMA and the way that it works in the brain very different from other psychedelics? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, It there's not really any, you know, uh, sort of a visual and um, auditory sort of um, effects like there, there can be with some of the others. Um, so yeah, I don't. I, it's it's. I don't even know that it's really considered a psychedelic, but oh, okay. it's it's in kind of that that realm of um, sort of grouped in that realm with uh, the others because of, I guess because it you know um, got moved to a, a Schedule One drug and um, but yeah, psilocybin I think in DMT are different in the in the way that you sort of perceive. Um, you know, things and you can even have some, some kind of hallucinations and um, have the experience, almost like dreaming is, mm-hmm. is the way I think of it. It's very real experience, mm-hmm. um, but you're seeing and hearing and kind of experiencing things that aren't um, kind of what every, everyone else is experiencing right now. Yeah. My experience with psilocybin with mushrooms was just that, I mean, I I think that I could talk about one experience for the rest of my life. Mm. I could probably break it down, unpack it, talk about the relevance to my life now, talk about the relevance to my future life, talk about things that um, were healing inside of me physically. I think that I truly could talk about one psilocybin experience for the rest of my life because it's so encompassing like a dream and and I think that was such a good comparison because also having since having the psilocybin experiences the relevance of my dreams feel increased mm, I'd love to hear about your in my experience. life oh my gosh so, well um so if I had to just kind of condense the impact of my psilocybin experience, it would be, by the way, alleged experience. And, you know, I mean, whatever. 
I, I can't I can't make it legal. So whatever it is, it's going to be. But um, the experience to me, I've, I've done a lot of meditation. I've done a lot of yoga. Um, was very connected to that place where the insight that comes subtly, naturally through the experience of meditation was coming through so profoundly. Um, and I was doing the mushroom with someone else. And the very interesting part of that was that I could gain insight for myself. And that insight was connected to that other person's insight as well. So it was, it was as though we were both connecting to the same thing and it was, the information was being downloaded and integrated into us very individually. Um, for me, what happens is there seems to be a lot of information just given, flooding through, um, coming through in visions and through through sacred geometry, things varying from serpents and ancient Egyptian information to um, the flower of life and things like that. And then uh, moving into sort of an experience of the environment around me. So the trees will begin to move in a particular way. They will look a particular color, which is a little bit more vibrant. The earth will feel very alive. Um, the, the ambient sounds will become more um, rhythmic in nature and almost healing in nature. Um, and so there's that very beautiful, you know, sense of just um, oneness and looking at people around me, seeing, you know, it seemed that I could see the separateness in our level of capacity to express our consciousness into the world. It seemed that I could see a difference in variances there, um, which didn't feel like fear. It felt like an opportunity to, to continue doing what I'm doing. Um, motivation for the, the path that I'm on and and experiencing that first within myself. And then, um, honestly, there was there were very fearful aspects as well, very scary aspects of the experience as well, um, which brought me through um, things that I fear on a regular basis, like my safety, um, like... It was almost showing me all the unnecessary fear that I and trauma that I put my physical body through just in any given day. Um, you know, if I saw like a police officer, I recognized, wow, I have a physical response to seeing a police officer because I'm afraid that, you know, my safety or my freedom is going to be taken away. Um, so showing me that, you know, while I couldn't really do anything with the information, um, at the time, I recognized that all of that fear was actually moving through me and changing the way that that fear then operated outside of that experience. So the fear was actually reduced in a lot of ways. Um, the connection and the insight that I was getting about all of that um, was so, so much my own like channeling and information that, 
it gave me more confidence in connecting to that outside of that experience as well. And seeing that, how that plays out in my dreams, seeing how that plays out in intuition and thoughts. Um, and then also I've recognized that my, so I've, I've for a long time, and I've talked about this on the podcast a lot, I've had irregular periods for a long, long time. And um, every time I've done mushrooms, my period, like what has needed to happen actually happened the next day, whether I needed to like start a period or stop a period. Hmm. So there were physical implications I felt of going through those emotions of fear or anxiety um, through that experience because it was actually like using my intuition and my consciousness to work through something that I guess I'm locking into my body. Yeah, it's really interesting. And that's just a, a blink of the experience. It's so it's so much bigger and so much more. And of course, right after I did it, I was like, my mom needs to do this. My sister needs to do this. And then really actually integrating, coming you know back into my groundedness a little bit, I recognize it's working with all of the other things that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm ready to have uncomfortable conversations in my life um, in order to work towards the relationships that I want. Yeah. And the businesses that I want and things like that. But without that and without the information coming from people like you, people like Dennis McKenna, people like Joe Rogan is a great influencer for me, Aubrey Marcus, um, a lot of the people who are talking about this way of living um, in conjunction with nutrition. There are so many factors I feel are important. So it's, I, I definitely wouldn't say that it's a one-stop shop. It doesn't mm-hmm. fix everything. But anything that can connect one to one's own soul and spirituality, I feel like the healing, we, there's no way that we could put a, a label on the amount of healing that can take place. It can be actually anything. And I'm sure that you've seen that in the, in the trials. Yeah. And, and with my own experience and, you know, there, I think there's, there's so many things that, that shape our, that just happened throughout our life that we're not even really aware of that sort of on this, this subconscious level. Um, I'll just give you an example. When I, when I went to and had my MDMA session, um, you know, I didn't really have anything specific that I, I wanted. I've just done a lot of personal work. So I didn't really know what, you know, what I was going to be working with and what came up for me was, just it was so interesting because I didn't even realize that it was an issue. And so I was I was raised in the Mormon church and my family's very religious. And that was what most of my session was about, how, you know, there was a lot of conditioning that happened through being raised that way that that I've had to un- sort of undo over the years. And I saw how it it has sort of, made me not trust myself throughout my life, you know, not trust my intuition because I was sort of raised with being told, you know, that if you think this way or if you, you know, if this, um, you know, if you do this, then you're a bad person. And so, you know, I didn't trust sort of my own, you know, like 
inner guide mm -hmm. and how that has affected me, you know, throughout my life has really been profound. And the one of the things that came up for me during that session was trust yourself. And it was so healing and so powerful. And I mean, it, you know, some of these experiences also, you know, the ayahuasca um, ceremony, these experiences have completely changed my life. Like they say, it's these experiences, it's like having 20 years of, of therapy in a couple hours. And you're saying that from having been a therapist for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this this whole this whole kind of realm of of, of psychiatry has given me a, a new passion about it. Where I was I was getting a little you know burnt out and discouraged by not seeing you know it it's the the steps that you kind of make in traditional psychotherapy or there they can be pretty small and and quite slow and. Um, you know, it's, it can, it can be a little discouraging, but these, some of these, you know, changes that I'm seeing with, with the psychedelics, they're, it's remarkable and it's coming from the person's inner healer, which is, right. you know, it's not some outside person sort of telling them anything, you know, mm -hmm. which makes but, it better. But having someone like you there, I can imagine it's like, you're, you're in this room and you're interacting with your deepest, darkest fears in conjunction with seeing perhaps your greatest dreams and also seeing your potential and then having someone there to remind you that it's not false, mm -hmm. that it's, it's yours and it's, it's possible. And it's, um, and so you're encouraging, you're an encouraging addition to someone who may not have ever had that in their life or maybe does have that, but maybe the, the rawness or the authenticity of what's coming out never has. And so, yeah, it's just like reading all these self-help books, reading all these business books and, you know, getting to like the nut of issues or like the nut of, of your dream. You, you have to get through so much shit to mm -hmm. get there. And you often don't because you're judging yourself the whole way along the route. Yeah. And and then so to have that part exposed, that that seed exposed, and then to have someone say, Yes, that's real, that's true, that's you, that's possible, that's um, that can be a part of your world. How incredibly powerful. I can't even, you know. I do believe that having a guide and having a support is incredibly important. And it's unfortunate that if you do find yourself being able to access some of these things, you maybe don't have a therapist that's going to sit there with you for six hours while you're tripping yeah, and know how to hold space and say, yes, this is authentic and true. Yeah, yeah, it's really important. And and a lot of people are hearing about ayahuasca ceremonies and you can go to these places where it's legal and even psilocybin, you can go, you know, there's retreat centers in places like Jamaica where it's legal. And it, you know, people are craving that, but, but then that leads to, you know, places that maybe, you know, 
don't have the best intentions mm -hmm. and you have to be very careful because you're right it's it's really important the set and the setting it's hugely important mm -hmm. in, in these experiences you have to feel safe and be safe right what was your ayahuasca retreat like um it was it was in ecuador at a place called gaia sagrada and there were 27 people in our group from around the world and it was a 12-day retreat with uh several ceremonies and uh you know there there was fear for me going into that because i didn't i didn't know what would come you know you 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 are sort of fearful of you know is there something that i don't know about in my subconscious that's going to you know that i don't that needs that maybe should stay in my subconscious mm -hmm. that i that doesn't you know i don't want to deal or that with that could it harm or, me the rest of my life yeah yeah so there's there's that and um but I, I was sort of at the point that I just wanted the truth. And I'd, and I'd seen, you know, through meditation, the, um, I mean, I'd, I'd had experiences on the Vipassana retreat of just this deep connection to the planet. And, um, you know, like you said, just the oneness and really feeling and knowing that. And there's something just life-changing about that. And, I experienced a similar, you know, similar things with ayahuasca, but it's, uh, I mean, just sort of like this teacher, you know, that really looks, looks within and sees what you need to work with. And so there were just so many things like patience and, um, you know, seeing my family in different ways. It really, I, I feel like, helped our relationship. So yeah, it was, it was so beneficial for me. Mm -hmm. Where I grew up psychedelics, I, you know, I remember sort of hearing about LSD and mushrooms, but they're, I mean, I was always, I always thought that they were, you know, just very dangerous and that you could go crazy or go jump off a building. And so I had no desire ever to to do any of that, you know, sort of came from that time period, I guess, where it wasn't really that that prevalent or popular in, in where I grew up. So mm -hmm. didn't have it, much experience with it. This, the sense of being able to deal with what you're dealing with in your life better, it feels like it's because it, it reconnects you to truth and authenticity and when you're connected to truth and love there's no separateness so you recognize that yes it's frustrating that my brother my sister my mom you know is trapped in this mindset but you also then can see it from this perspective of understanding that they're in their journey and experience yeah. as well and it's totally fine and there are many people on their own routes and, and, and it looks many different crazy ways, but there's, when you experience unconditional love for yourself, which I feel like a lot of these psychedelic experiences are that unconditional self-love, mm -hmm. when you experience that for yourself and give that to yourself, you're so much more willing to give it to someone else and say, you know, you may look this particular way or do this particular thing, but none of it matters. It's just an expression of your learning through this lifetime. And mm -hmm. so I will love you despite 
it becomes so like all of those situations become so much less intense. I feel. Yeah, I agree. And the thought of hurting someone else or the planet is as foreign as, you know, hurting yourself. I mean, because it's, you see all of these things as yourself and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really changed the way that my behaviors, you know, and just really wanting to take care of this earth and, uh, you know, it, it, it provides life for us. And, um, I think when you have the experience of really being in tune with it and almost like having a communication with the earth, it just makes you want to take care of it. And, you know, I, yeah, I wish everyone could, could have these experiences. We'd mm-hmm. no longer, you know, have wars and would solve so a lot many of problems. Things, yeah. As long as they were in the right environment with the right person you know, um, allowing them to express that, what they were feeling. Um, so going back into your everyday life as a therapist, are you, is it like every single person that comes in, are you just like, shit, if I could just give you something and just allow you to experience this process, we could get somewhere. That, that is sort of the frustration. So I'm so lucky that I get to be part of this research Mm -hmm. because I, you know, I get to do it legally and, um, and it's very rewarding and it's, it's what I, you know, hope to eventually be able to do all of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but maybe it also makes you more creative in the moment of not being able to use it because you know yeah. where you're trying to get. And there are a lot of ways to experience altered states of consciousness too, you know, through dance and, and meditation and chanting and breathing is a huge one. So uh, are you talking about our particular type of breath work? Holotropic breath work mm-hmm. is, uh, was, developed by a psychiatrist named Stan Groff. And he actually used to give LSD to his patients and do psychotherapy with them and did that legally, you know, for years. And then when it became illegal, he sort of uh, wanted to develop a way to get people in these altered states in, you know, a a natural way. And he had seen through his LSD sessions that breathing was a, a big part of that. And so, yeah, he, he developed holotropic breath work and that's p- so powerful. Have you ever done that? Mm-hmm. Many times. Yeah. It's, that's a, a great one, but just breathing in general, you know, it can s- change your physiology and it's something that, you know, I always teach to people that have anxiety and, um, it's such a great way to just, kind of recenter yourself and something that's always with us, you know, we can use any time. Mm-hmm. Are, are there practices besides, so for those who aren't familiar, holotropic breathing, um, a lot of people connect it to, um, what is, what is it called when you can't breathe? <laughs> well, it, it's sort the of term. like hyperventilating yeah. in a way, but it's really not. It's you're really not, not. Yeah. But it, it because you're getting so much oxygen in. You're breathing in like this circular pattern. And the music is a, a huge part of it, mm-hmm. the drumming. And mm-hmm. and um, we, we play music in our times. MDMA sessions too. Okay. And it's sort how of do that. they How do they pick those types of things? 
Uh, we make the playlists and we have a, a this bank of like uh, just recommendations from um, other therapists that have been doing this type of therapy for a long time. Um, and then, you know, they've, they've done some studies with psilocybin and music and sort of what kind of music facilitates these processes. And um, so we sort of start out, you know, with just maybe something mellow, piano, and and then it sort of moves in as the medicine takes effect, it moves into a more active kind of drumming, tribal sort of music that can be really activating, you know, for, for people. And then towards the end, it sort of moves more into, you know, an integration type of feel. So the music's a big part of it. Mm-hmm. And we really encourage people to go inside. So we have eye shades and we'll kind of remind people, you know, maybe this would be a good time to just go inside and and see, you know, what your inner guide is is bringing for you. Wow. And, I've never taken ecstasy, so I don't know how it feels or the way in which it works. It's a heart opener for one thing, too. And it there's... Um, it, it increases oxytocin, which is a hormone that's released like while a mother's breastfeeding and it's associated with bonding and sort of this love nurturing. And it's one of the, one of the hormones that, that MDMA, you know, releases. And so there's this sort of self love and, um, compassion that, that comes up that it's really cool. And, and that, you know, people can experience, Toward, even towards, um, you know, perpetrators and um, see things, you know, from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. I love the I love that the research is happening because I, I mean, obviously, there nothing happens unless it becomes legal in some way and available in some way. So. I look at the way that the research is being done with a lot of gratitude that this is happening. Um, but again, I go back to, uh, you know, we're getting a lot of people back to baseline, but there are a lot of people who want to exist beyond baseline, who really want to, you know, be in this life experience thriving. And and they, they may not have something that's diagnosed as being um, anything. They may, you know, someone may just look at them and think that they're lazy or uninspired or... Um, not passionate, uninterested, um, just going with the flow. They may feel that way themselves as well, that they're just, they're doing society as society has told them to do. And so I am so interested in seeing how this might change the scope of reference for normality, Mm -hmm. because I think that it's actually unlike superhero, superhuman drugs like amphetamines and things like that, I feel that it gives some sort of integration with the self that is self-motivating and self-regulating momentum moving Mm -hmm. forward because it's moving forward in an authentic path that, you know, may not result in what is deemed to be success but is successful on the internal ground. You know, like I feel so good about myself because today I painted a picture, Mm -hmm. something that simple, or I feel so good about myself today because I, 
you know, called my friend that I haven't talked to in however long, something that something like that. Um, I'm interested in seeing how that changes our landscape and changes the way that we talk to one another and just live. You know, I think a lot of my I, I get bored seeing people just like do what they're supposed to do. I'm always looking for the people who are doing something outside of that because I I, I don't think that we're created to be robotic. And so I, I'm always kind of fighting against things that just bring us back to that place of conformity, whether it's, you know, um, the medications or just a mindset. And so I'm so thankful for everything that we have referenced and talked about. And, um, and I also, I mean, obviously because you're not using it in your everyday practice, what are some suggestions that you would give to people who you feel really need some type of experience like this, but maybe can't? Um, what's, what's maybe a state of mind or maybe like some insight into, um, where these experiences might bring someone that maybe might help people change their perspective on something that they're dealing with? Well, I, you know, I still think that just developing a daily meditation practice is, you know, one of the, the best ways to just really dive deep inside and begin to remove some of the layers of armor and conditioning. And, um, you know, so that's, that's something that's available to everyone. And, you know, I think that, I think people really, there's kind of a movement towards experiencing, um, you know, expanding consciousness and, um, it's, being talked about, you know, those podcasts that you mentioned there, you know, those are hugely popular. And mm -hmm. I think that the more we talk about some of these topics, the more that, you know, people will be open. And, um, my, my mother's a pharmacist and I would have never in a million years thought that she'd be open to some of these things. And she is, you know, and so, um, that's, a big step, you know, mm -hmm. I think there, it's a generational thing too. And yeah, so I, I, I just think that having conversations about it kind of will, people will explore, you know, things for themselves. There's a lot of, of ways to mm -hmm. expand consciousness and grow and learn. And it's just, um, you know, not everyone can go out of the country to do mm -hmm. some of these medicines, but, um, you know, hopefully someday they won't have to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there are things that you can do here and I'm not, you know, yeah. endorsing anything in particular, but I mean, it's pretty easy to find weed or mushrooms. And so people are experiencing it, whether or not it's legal and in what ways is it safe? I think it's to be mindful of the environment, to ask yourself and maybe to have someone else evaluate whether or not you are capable of experiencing a psychotic break, um, which I've heard in research that, you know, between the ages of maybe like 18 or 15 and 24 or so are kind of that testy period of, um, yeah, maybe. the brain isn't fully developed at that time. So, and so, okay. yeah, the, the, I think 
be, you know, sort of waiting to experience some of these things when you're maybe in your early twenties, when the, when the brain is fully developed is, is important because who knows, mm -hmm. you know, what, what effects it could have otherwise. Um, yeah. And then also, you know, preparing yourself physically, I think it's really important for people to look at their nutrition, especially when they're dealing with um, anxiety or depressive sy symptoms, because a lot of people are not getting enough nutrients and minerals. Mm -hmm. And so they're just assuming that it's a brain thing when in essence, like you're not eating food, you're eating plastic or parasites and whatever plastics. I mean, we eat food that is similar in comparison to eating plastic mm -hmm. when we're eating um, processed food. And so just having that come into mind as well, when you're preparing yourself, it's like, we're all kind of preparing ourselves for this spiritual journey. And so the more I think we show up and, and act consciously and responsibly by at least checking off some of those, like, can I be with myself for 20 minutes? Can, have I tried meditation? Have I, um, tried talking about some of these things? Have I, you know, been willing to expose deep, dark parts of myself for the purpose of healing? You know, are you being courageous enough to bring your part to the table? And then maybe, you know, considering trying something else um, to support that? Because, you know, my generation as well. Like they were, it was very easy for a lot of people to take a lot of drugs and go to a concert and it not be anything introspective or conscious enhancing or conscious, um, expanding. Whereas the same drug now with intention, with intentionality, with purpose, with, um, meditation and prayer all in conjunction can have a completely different effect. And so having an awareness of all of these things, doing your research, um, is there some research that MAPS provides to people and information like on their website and mm -hmm. things like that? Okay. Yeah, their website is mapsmaps.org and they've, you know, been publishing. I mean, they have all kinds of research on there regarding different plant medicines and sort of the what the latest, you know, studies have shown and. Um, yeah, that's a great organization. And there are other organizations too, um, that, uh, Dennis, Dennis is with, it's like mm -hmm, the Hefner, Hefner. Okay. Mm -hmm. they do a lot of research with psilocybin and, um, yeah, just kind of getting online and reading, you know, some of that. And, and from there you can, you know, sort of get directed to other other organizations, they have links and, and things and, like that. And this might sound silly too, but like, you know, I'm always talking to people about having coaches, having therapists and doing that portion as well. But I don't think I could go to a therapist who wasn't open-minded to this. Yeah. There's actually a website called Psychedelic Support that is uh, specific to therapists around the country that... Um, are open to this kind of thing and will provide integration coaching. Say you have a, mm -hmm. an experience on your own, you know, with one of these medicines, and you you want to, you know, talk about it somewhere in a in a safe space where the the therapist isn't going to think Judging. that you're, you know, 
<laughs> that you're psychotic or something, you know? Right. And um, Because sometimes after these experiences too, there's a time period of integration. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it can be tough to figure out how to take what you've learned and apply it into your daily life. Um, some of the experiences are quite profound and, and trying to find meaning in them and, um, you know, trying to figure out how to kind of incorporate them can be difficult without someone to talk with about mm -hmm. it. So that is psychedelic support. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. I like that. Are there other therapists here in New Orleans that you know of? No, no. I don't. Not that I know of. I'm sure there are. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, if you if you go on that website, there there are a lot like in New York and California mm -hmm. and some of these places that I think are a little um, more progressive. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we're we're getting there. Does that make you feel alone as a therapist sometimes? sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Because I would, I would just think that you'd want to, you know, there are people who I guess aren't therapists who you can still have this conversation about. Yeah. And it's, it's one of the reasons that, you know, we started the, that sort of the network of um, just a, it's called the New Orleans Entheogenic Network, and it's a place we meet once a month, and it's for people to just have a place to speak about these things with, you know, like-minded people. And I've actually met a lot of other, um, you know, scientists, and, and there are, you know, therapists that are wanting to learn about this mm -hmm. and that are open to it and interested and... So that's, that's good. Yeah. We just need to have, you know, conversations and. You have a very, um, understated way of, um, making your presence in all of that, what you're doing in Louisiana known, but you really are spearheading conversations. Um, you're spearheading people changing their beliefs. You're spearheading new beliefs coming into the field. Um, you personally. And well, so you. I'm so grateful for you because I know that it's, it's you being you and that's the most powerful message that I think that we can provide to the earth is just us being us and, and listening each other. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, you're doing it from a place of, it's not really about you getting the recognition. It's just about you following your heart and um, so I'm so glad that we could have this conversation and many other people could hear you talk about it as well. And um, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, I'm going to put your website and um, and hopefully people will be seeing you more and more. Just talk about this because it's, it's really important. Um, so my... Um, my assistant is here also, and so I just and and her friend is listening to this conversation. So I wanted to ask, like, after that, do you guys have any other questions or anything that you'd like for Sherry to address? I'm, I'm just curious if you've ever done any research and stuff into ketamine for for depression and stuff. So the because question is, um, has Sherry done any research in ketamine for depression as well? Yeah, I've actually read quite a bit on that. Uh, Ray Worthy and I have have talked about 
possibly offering that. And several of the therapists that we were trained with through MAPS do that. And, you know, we've sort of learned about it from them. Um, what and is ketamine? It's So it's actually something that's used during anesthesia. Um, and it's a safe type of anesthesia that's actually given to children and um I, I think that they noticed that when they gave this to people that they were having sort of these mystical, spiritual type experiences when they would, you know, mm -hmm. come out of surgery and things. And so they started looking at, you know, in in lower doses, what what does this do? And so there, there's been some research on that. And there's actually a, a an anesthesiologist on the North Shore that provides it, um, but it's it's just given as an infusion, and there's no psychotherapy um, mm -hmm. component. And I've had actually uh, some patients that have done it, and it, it the the effects weren't really lasting for them. And I I've wondered if it has to do with that that there's not the psychotherapy component. So I would love to you know explore that mm -hmm. further, but. Um, there's, I, as far as I'm aware, there's still kind of some question whether the, the mode of giving it, you know, by mouth or, um, you know, any other way besides intravenously mm -hmm. is as effective and to give it intravenously, you know, it, that there's a whole another component there of, to yeah. provide, you know, safety and, and these things. So we, we haven't kind of taken the, the next step, but from talking with some of our colleagues that do provide, they, there's a, a couple of people I know of that, that give their patients a lozenge and, um, actually send them home with, with lozenges as well. And then also give it, I am intramuscularly and they're seeing, you know, really wonderful benefits from it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of a, an exciting. Yeah. Um, as far as I know, that's really the only antidepressant that would really work as quickly as it does. Correct. Mm -hmm. Is there any other ones I'm not thinking of? And it, it's not even really considered an antidepressant, but it's, I think, allowing people to have sort of a, a spiritual experience and see things kind of along the lines of what we've been talking about, seeing things in a way that kind of changes the way they they look at, you know, their life. And um, so it, you know, I think it, it does decrease depression. I don't know about long-term, you know, they have, I don't think it's really been studied for long enough mm -hmm. to, to know that, but it's, it's an exciting avenue because it's could, legal. Right. Know? If you could put your mind into like 20 years in the future, an ideal setting for someone coming in, having a depressive thought, how would you see that we would handle that with, um, everything available? Well, you know, Rick Doblin, the founder of MAPS, he has kind of this dream that, it, you know, has become my dream as well, but that we'll have facilities where people can go and, for healing. And there's a lot of different modes available there. And it could be, you know, yoga, meditation, psilocybin, MDMA, and just depending on what the individual person is, you know, sort of needs or is, you know, drawn to that's, 
they can come there and mm -hmm. these centers, you know, will um, offer a lot of different modalities. So yeah. hopefully that will happen. I think that sounds wonderful. Thank you for asking that question, Seth. And um, and I think that it's important to do research on many different types of things and be open to um, maybe one thing providing, you know, this mode of insight, maybe this, this other thing healing this sort of part of it and you kind of becoming your own doctor and researcher and developer for your own healing and treatment, um, have, taking the power back to the person, um, back into the original channel, because then from that place, they're become so much more confidence and moving forward. If you can heal yourself, you know what you need to become more rebalanced, knowing that there's support out there to help you along the way. Um, it's a very empowering place to be. And I think uh, our manifestation and our next steps forward in consciousness comes from that place as well. So just becoming comfortable with it, whether it's through, you know, you deciding to change one thing that you eat or deciding to see this therapist, just being very strong in that it doesn't always have to be the right decision. It's just a step in the direction of you following something that is piquing your interest mm -hmm. or um, your curiosity or something like that. Shayla, did you have any questions? Yeah. So if someone um, starts psychedelic therapy, um, any pharmaceuticals that they're on, do they stop that or do they use them at the same time? Let me repeat that in the microphone. So Shayla asked if anyone is um, interested in psychedelic therapy, but they are on medications, is it suggested that they stop? medications before it is and it's you know of course not something that you'd want to do without you know your doctor's involvement for example with this with the mdma study you know people can't be on um ssris they there's certain medicines that you know may have the potential to have side effects um and I know with psilocybin, that's, you know, I think SSRIs probably decrease the effects of the psilocybin. And, um, you know, with ayahuasca, too, there can be interactions there. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to just, you know, learn. The problem is if you go to your traditional psychiatrist and say, you know, I want to get off my my Prozac because I'm going to an ayahuasca retreat, you know, that isn't, um, that might not be supported. And so that makes it tough for people, you know? Um, and I think it maybe just reaching out to specific doctors that are familiar with some of these things is important because then they can, they can help them, you know, mm -hmm. cause you don't want to, a lot of those medicines, you don't want to just abruptly stop them. That can be, you know, really harmful and difficult and mm -hmm. cause problems itself. So, you know, it's good to wean them with the support of someone that's, you know, used to doing that. Mm -hmm. And your willingness and, and interest in getting off of these drugs as well as I've heard has been, it's the deciding factor, whether or not it's going to happen. It's never someone else telling you you should. And generally the doctors are not telling you to get off of them. Um, but I can imagine that, that would be difficult to find. Like if I'm thinking of people here in New Orleans who are interested in maybe having these experiences and 
being on these medications, I don't know where I would tell them to go for support and getting off of them for these experiences. So, um, do you have any suggestions? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it can be tricky because they, they do offer sort of a, a band-aid. And if you are taking that away and you have to be off them for a couple weeks or something before you have this other experience, you know, that can be really difficult for some people, but it seems I've seen that the motivation is there and is enough that people can, can do it because of the hope that, you know, this experience may then, you know, there, there may not be the necessity to go back on these, these medications that have, you know, they have a lot of side effects and, um, and I don't, I don't mean to, you know, seem like I'm bad mouthing them because there, there is a, a place for them and they are very helpful in some instances, especially, you know, to, um, if someone's having an acute, you know, experience of anxiety or, um, you know, they're, they're suicidal or something. I mean, these can, can really help people. Mm -hmm. And, um, but. So someone that is coming to mind, actually, now that we're thinking about it, Kelly Brogan, are you familiar with her Mm -hmm. work? She is in, she was in New York. She just moved to Miami and she has an entire program called the vital mind reset. And it's a combination of meditations, nutritional support, and um, a tape, like she um, created a tapering uh, module mm. that teaches people how to taper off of all of these pharmaceuticals safely with someone who's been studying it for years and years. So she's a really good resource, Kelly Brogan. Um, and I, I really like her nutritional standpoint as well. So yeah, sometimes you have to do it on your own, I guess. Mm. But we're strong. And there is a lot of support and there's a lot of information and there are people like you in the world who are, are pushing us toward this um, courageous and spiritual and amazing existence. And I'm so thankful. So oh, thank I'm you, Sherry. I'm thankful for you too. This is perf- a perfect ending. Thank you. You're welcome.